0: You're listening to SM Media, the number one place for exclusive content.
1: Hi everyone and welcome to this week's episode of the Scottish Football Show right here on SM Media. I'm Scott McPike, your host as always. Delighted to be here again. Shankers is with me as he is every week. Shankers, pleasure to be on again.
2: Uh, Aye, good Scott. Another eventful weekend in the football world in Scotland. It was that. Wilson won't be joining us
1: for this episode but we're delighted to welcome a special guest one of the legends of Scottish football, a well-known journalist, Hugh MacDonald. Hugh, it's an absolute pleasure to be on the show. Thanks very much for joining us.
0: Thanks very much for having uh, having me on. Uh, look forward to it. Uh, Looking forward to that. I always enjoy talking about football, you know. <laughs>
1: How are we? You? you good? How's, how's everything been?
0: Everything's great with me, I'm, I'm uh, missing, uh, obviously, going to games, uh, even though in the latter part of my career, uh, Scott, in the last couple of years, I've not been reporting live on games. That was a decision. I'd taken myself, you know, I just, I just felt, you know, um, stepping back and doing more kind of reflective, writing more yeah. interviews, uh, basically because by the way, basically because of the absolute weather, I had a, I had a kind of epiphany at uh, the Underdog Stadium one Saturday when the snow was coming uh, squeaking off the ovals, and I said, you know what? I don't know how long I can continue to do this. <laughs> also. But one of the things I do is I go to I go to matches, you know, a lot, um, and I Saturday. So the uh, the short answer of really missing that. Mm,
1: definitely. We'll move on to the results over the weekend in the Premier Shat. Celtic one, Saint Mirren two, Dundee United now, Hibernian two, Kilmarnock two, Saint Johnston three, Livingston now, Aberdeen now. We'll dip into all the wee, all the games over the weekend, but we'll start. Where else do you start but Celtic Park? Celtic once and Marin Two. Phew, where do you start with Celtic? But it's
0: just a, well, where's what where, where do you think of the latest episode? Well, it's where do you end with Celtic as far as this <laughs> era is is concerned, rather than where you start. I mean, it's now we're now in and beyond the end game, surely, um uh of uh, uh in Neil Lennon's uh, era at Celtic. And, it's one of those things that if you if you've been in Scottish football for a long time, particularly in the press side of it, you, the, there's games that you always say, "Well, that's you know that's a that's a sacking game." And, and I always remember uh, sitting at uh, in Paisley many years ago when in the fourth uh, uh, Saint in against yeah. the Tony Mulberry team and Stephen McGowan the Daily Mail, you know, Jag, you know, said to me, "This is this is a sacking story," and. But how many times have we said that about Celtic and, 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 and Neil Lennon this season? You know, every every result, you know, I felt the two Sparta Prague results, were they second stories? Ross County losing at home? It just goes on and on. So I, I really don't know. Now, I mean, normally I would be very, um, you know, like convinced that it's over, but are they, are they just hoping somehow... It, 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 you know, the you know Celtic can limp to the to the end of the season. I don't think that's viable now, Scott. I think it's I think something has to be done. That has to be done now, and you know, to retain second place and to have, if the Scottish Cup is revised or revived, I should say in the next couple of months, that Celtic can have a tilt at that as well.
1: Yeah, Shankers, what do you make of the the whole situation? It's just getting every week we're on here something different, and obviously. We've heard the stories over the weekend about Neil Lennon saying the players aren't playing for him. mean, me, you and Wilson have had debates about that for weeks in the show, but I, that was my conclusion yesterday. I don't think the players were playing for Neil Lennon yesterday.
2: I, uh, I kind of defended him months ago when Wilson says it looks like that they're not playing for Lennon. It looks like they're hanging the manager to dry. And I was saying I don't think any player would, as a player myself, I don't think you could go out and try no play for the manager, but watching the... the highlights of the game yesterday. It just as Hugh said, it looks like a team that just wants to kinda of play and, and get the season over and done with. well, questionable defending again, but that's just the kind of the story every, every week with we Celtic. But you've got to give credit to St Martin. It's it's easy to go to their places and, and camp in and, and try and play for a draw or whatever. But they when they went forward they put bodies forward and, and they got the results and it looked like they played there with no fear mm-hmm. as, as most teams have I've done with they went to Parkhead, but as you say, as Hugh says, where does where does this end? Hugh, where do you obviously when you heard the news about Peter Loyal during the
1: week and Dominic Mackay's taking over as chief executive, what what type of job does he does Dominic Mackay face? What's the first thing he needs to do when he goes in to Celtic?
0: Well, I mean, the first thing he has to do, of course, is, you know, he probably doesn't inherit this, but, you know, get the manager, a new manager on board and, and really implement a, a strategy that has been undergoing at Celtic. There's been uh, various business um, appraisals of the Celtic uh, model and really what he's got to do is implement that. And I think pretty clearly what he's got to do is, is get a, a, a system in almost like a, Celtic really have to update to be a European top European club and we know that all top European clubs have a simple structure it's a straightforward structure you have a director of football you have a coach and then you have other staff Um, and and that's what it's going to be it's presumably whoever coach has been uh, um, kind of considered or approached at the moment will know that this is the model but that's got to be the model going forward uh, to have a, a so that when uh, the manager or the, the head coach has to go, that's only one little uh, strata of the structure that's going on, and you can and you can replace that. Rather than when Brendan Rodgers uh, decided to go to Leicester, you know, it was almost like an exodus from Lenox Town, which could have actually have been you know much worse if. John Kennedy and others had followed him, so I think uh, I think the, the 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 chief executive's got a really full entry, hasn't he? You mm-hmm. know, but that that football side of it, because the football side of it is is what matters. Get a coach, get the system in, and he's going to have a huge rebuild in terms of of players. Scott, it's it's yes. going to be you know, there's we could go through with Mark and, and yourself with a list of you know. Um, who's going to go and who's going to see and and, and the, the ex it is really an exodus, isn't
1: it? No, definitely, definitely. Hugh, what's
2: your what's your thoughts and obviously you mentioned touching John Kennedy there. Do you think he has to go when the manager goes? Obviously, it looks as if John Kennedy's been promised a job at Celtic in some in some form, but hmm. surely as he's assistant manager, do you not know, think he, he should also take some flack as, as well as the manager? I know Lennon's mm-hmm. front line, so he'll take it all his cell, but. What's your view on the assistant
0: manager still Absolutely.
2: being there, possibly?
0: I think the whole coaching staff's got to take it on a chin, Mark. I mean, I think, yep. you know, if you look at this, I'm not a coach, I haven't got any badges, but I've watched a lot of football over the years. And you know what you're watching in front of me, and there's times when you're watching Celtic, where you, you feel you're watching a team that's just not coached or, or is not... I mean, I don't know what at times... Celtic strategy is when I'm watching them live. You know, obviously at the moment, it's on the telly. But I mean, I've just finished watching um, OK, at a very much higher level, watching uh, Liverpool. Uh, I see you just come off the park, Mark. <laughs> um, thanks very much for uh, Maybe Big Jurgen must have given you the last 10 minutes off to give it. Just watch Liverpool with West Ham. And both different styles, obviously, because different level of players, different assets. But you, you could look at that game and you know exactly what the both managers are setting out to do. You know, you know, they've got a strategy, they know they've know got a game plan. And more importantly, you know what the players, the players have been, you know, are, are well briefed. So I think, I think that's been a huge problem for Celtic. You know, that question where people thought a team with an identity i I've not seen an identity with Celtic. Um, certainly this season. And yeah, you know, all the coaches have got to take responsibility for that. Not just Neil Lennon. My my thoughts is that that, that is that, that um John Kennedy seems to be a favoured son at Celtic Park. You know, and and there's been as we know there's been rumours that if there was a director of football, and that seems to be the role. Um. You know, it's, it's it's definitely going to be created that he, mm-hmm. he was in he was in prime position for that. Now I've not got any inside information on that. I'm just reporting what I hear. So will he stay and become director of
1: football? Uh, who knows? We'll move on to commander Obviously, commandant St. Johnson's commandant were two 0 up at half time, but lost three goals to St. Johnson and it saw the end of Alex Dyer as commandant manager. Hugh, were you surprised that Alex Dyer lost his job after that? Performance yesterday.
0: No, I think I think if once you lose, you start losing an awful lot of games, um, your position starts to become outside Celtic. Anyway, it starts to become untenable, doesn't it? I mean, yeah, it yeah. looks, uh, and what the big danger there with Comanek, who already, you know, one um, of the teams will be hit with a very cold wind that COVID has brought in. I mean, they'll be absolutely in a panic about retaining yeah. their, their, their premiership status. By the way, there'll be a few other clubs in the moment in that league that have, you know, Dundee United, for example. Uh, they're coming down, you know, they're falling back into the argument as well. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's teams there that will be, you know, uh, looking at to make automatic but drastic change of, 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 of changing the manager. And I wasn't surprised, and, uh, Alec Dyer went because it is just it's um the results
1: were almost made inevitable, Scott. Yeah, definitely. Shankers, who do we who do we think had been contention for the job? I know we've spoke about it with, with, with the comar fan
2: on the show, but <laughs> who do we think had been contention for that job? Um I think the problem is obviously we've we've heard Colmar's financial Situation that they're, they're looking to borrow money. So do they? Do they look at somebody in-house, somebody like James Fowler who's director of football to, to save put another another wage out? But then if if you do go for another manager, somebody like Tommy Wright, people Stephen Robinson, people people are like who, who know the game, it's a hard one. But I've said to you and, and Wilson in the the group chat that we've got the problem is we out supporters support us as that they're going to compare every manager since Steve Clark to Steve Clark and mm-hmm. it's a kind of almost yeah. one off job which mm-hmm. Steve Clark came in and done and take them to the third place. And they, they maybe need to realise that they're not going to get that every season. Maybe maybe come compete uh, the top six, but but the third place finish that they got is is a one off. And I think they maybe need to lower their expectations a wee bit and and maybe obviously Alex Dyer they found herself in a position that they shouldn't have been in, but I think they need to be a wee bit more realistic because Steve Clark was a one-off for them and they're not really going to get that again anytime soon. Yeah, definitely. Couldn't
1: agree more. Hibs did a, a good result away than Day united and Saturday, McGregor and Boyle <laughs> with the goals. We obviously, we, we spoke about it last week, Shankers, that Hibs were maybe in a wee bit of form, but the past couple of games have brought up, they've, they've been playing some good football and now they're... If Celtic don't get out of their slump, Hibs could be in a contention to push Celtic for second place. I'm...
2: I, I, when I watched Hibs back uh, yesterday, I think it wasn't, it wasn't a great game. I think Hibs... I think it was because Dundee United were so poor. Mm. I don't think Hibs... Hibs won exactly... I don't think they, they dominated the game and uh, they deserved their win, but I didn't think it was a, a overly convincing performance. I just think Dundee United are lacking a real bit of quality from middle to front. Obviously, the strikers, uh, Lon Strankland and McNulty and, and Nicky Clark, but see when, see when you go go back into midfield, I, I don't really see anybody that can can supply them really, uh, likes a butcher and that, I don't think that's their type of game. Uh, one I looked at was Stevie Marlin's. not really playing for, for Hibs a lot, he's out the picture, somebody like that for Dundee United mm-hmm. could, could be a good one, somebody that can, mm-hmm. can unlock a pass, or, or, or see, see something different that nobody else sees. But, uh, Hibs, Hibs just need to get back to basics and, and start picking up wins, obviously getting get out the semi-final of the Cup then losing to Rangers midweek. They just need to start guarding a wee bit of momentum again and, and try and get third because it, it's more than more than capable for them. Yeah, definitely. Hugh, do you think Hibs could
1: potentially pose a threat to Celtic if Celtic don't get out of their slump?
0: Well, you know that would normally be, in normal terms, you would just say absolutely not you know, no way Jose, <laughs> I mean, but you're looking at this Celtic thing, it, it, it unravels on a weekly basis. I mean, this is not even, like, not hindsight. I mean, I, I was receiving, like, texts, you know, uh from people yesterday, you know, saying, you know, 81 is an outlandish price for for St. Martin, you know, um mm-hmm. uh, going to Celtic Park. Now, normally you'd be checking your WhatsApp to see if it'd been <laughs> hacked by, you know, uh, <laughs> the lunatic asylum. But it was, you know, you are saying yourself, Do you know what, and the fact of the matter is, you know, was St Mervyn at Celtic Park a shock result yesterday? No. Well, it wasn't, because it may have been a shock for the bookies at 81, but it certainly wasn't a shock to people I was talking to, who were saying, you know, you know, some modern you know, Jim Goodwin will go there and he'll set them up to go and have a go at Celtic, because that, that's what your vulnerable position makes you. It makes people, it doesn't even, you're, your confidence doesn't go down your lack of confidence feeds the other team you know mm-hmm. so normally you would say Hibs would have no chance of getting anywhere near celtic Uh you look at aberdeen i mean i see you know, on social media i would say you oh, aberdeen could could catch celtic of course they could but aberdeen's form has just been has been as precisely as bad as celtics mm-hmm. at the moment you know yeah. it's, it's gone under the radar But if you look at a team, if a team was, you know, if you look at a team uh, and, you know, goes four or five games, you know, see you get four or five, uh, you know, three points, 15 points in the trot, my goodness, that would really, that would really stir up uh, the league as well. Um, So I wouldn't rule it out. Normally I would say Celtic nailed on. I still think, by the way, there's enough there and they can regather. Uh, to, to maintain same place, but the very fact we're having a conversation about this uh, suggests to me it's uh, you know we're dealing in realistic prospects. Yeah, definitely.
1: Livingston and Aberdeen drew 0-0. Shankers, we we spoke earlier on yesterday, and I said if there was ever a game that was a certainty to be a draw, it'd be Livingston <laughs> Aberdeen. We surprised. We talked. We've, we've touched on there a wee bit
2: about Aberdeen's dipping form. Like,
1: what do you kind of make of that?
2: Uh, I, I, when I watched it back, it was probably a fair result, and end up both teams had had a few chances each, but it, it probably probably was a fair result in the end. Just Aberdeen really kind of kind of missed that presence. It caused Grove somebody up there on the number nine. It's going to be it's going to be a real difficult one for them to replace him because it as much as he was a physical presence, he put the ball in the net for them as well. Mm. So so it's going to be a difficult one for for them to replace some. They were playing with if I'm not. I'll, couldn't he possibly pick who it was that was, was up front, but it, it wasn't a natural striker. I think it was McLennan or something yeah. like that. I, I think he's a wide man. It's obviously just because because Cosgrove's deal went a couple of days before the game and they've not got a chance to get him done, but but it'll be a difficult one for, for Aberdeen to replace him because, as I said, he was a big presence, but he also he also scored plenty of goals. Hugh, yeah. Fraser Hornby, the under-21 yeah. striker, has been lined up to, to come in
1: and fill the Sam Cosgrove void. I think he could do a good job for Aberdeen. I do, I, I,
0: I, do. I, I've been uh, impressed with that kid every time I've watched him play. I'm slightly surprised that uh, the, the, you know, the French expedition has been cut a wee bit short from him. Yeah. Because uh, he's young, young kid. He's powerful. He's strong. Um, he's, um, uh, he's very committed to his career. He's one of those young, young players that's all in, on it? I think I think he could do a job for them. I really do. I think um, you know, um, big shoes to fill. Cosgrove was just really, wasn't just really good for Aberdeen in terms of scoring goals, but getting them up the park, being you know, being being that kind of lightning rod for everything they wanted to do. He's going to be a big loss, but. Aberdeen's got. I mean, any Scottish club's just got to take that money now. Yeah, oh, definitely. It's, it's, it's just a no-brainer, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Hornby, yeah, I, I would, I wouldn't be surprised if he if he did well, Scott.
1: Yeah, definitely. Well, that was a cover well, That's the results covered for the weekend. We'll move on to our our Q and A with Hugh McDonald. It's a pleasure to have you on. Hugh, see when you you started out in journalism, was it always a plan to to cover football? Was that always a plan when you kind of left school?
0: No, there wasn't any really planned. And the whole thing about me is I never I've, I never really got to sports journalism um, full time, Scott, until I was over 30 years in the business.
1: Right.
0: I was at, um, I'd, I'd win. There's a long boring story about how I got into journalism, but basically it was, I got into journalism so I didn't have to go to university because <laughs> uh, I didn't fancy going and in, 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 uh, I was supposed to go and study medicine. I didn't fancy that. So I just absolutely just decided uh, um, at the last dash to to apply for a a job in journalism and I got it and I've never regretted it. Mm -hmm. Never regretted it because I, I, I. see I look at other people's jobs and I go I just couldn't do your job mm-hmm. uh, and people will say well you can't do your own job and I would <laughs> I, I wouldn't argue with that but I would say I've I've, survived for nearly 50 years isn't it?" so I, what I did was I went round the houses really in journalism more than an editing way I was you know I was an editor you know of editing texts and deciding where texts went and, and uh, for many many years and, and I only only and I always did bits of writing. I did a sports column, and I, I did other bits of writing, but I never actually got into the the full a uh, um, uh, sports report until I was fifty. And and the reason it came up was, I, I was deputy sports editor of the Herald, and, and and been doing bits of writing, and and Graham Spears left to go to the the Times, and they said to me, "Would you do this? Would you?" you'd consider jumping across. And, and it was just a perfect time in my life. My kids were up. I'd actually, I, w- I was going through a divorce. So I, I mean, so nobody cared if I was on the road or, you know, or, 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 or you know, traveling the world. And it was, and I said, yeah. And it was fantastic because it, it not only introduced me to football or introduced me to football to but Andy Murray was, was just appearing on the scene then. Yeah. So I got to follow the Murray journey, and then obviously, you know, things like the Open's very important, as you know, for Scottish sport because yeah. so many times it's so again, the golf reporting as well. So it was perfect for me, and I had uh, and I continue to have a, a great 15 or 16 years at it.
1: Brilliant. Who's been some of the kind of best colleagues you've worked with in the, in the media? I know there's a lot of great people obviously working in the media in Scotland, but who's um, been, some of your favourite people to work with?
0: Well, I, I, I'm really lucky because I, I think the the Scottish press pack, by and large, you know, almost uniformly is really welcoming them. Um, they welcome me when I was coming in as a a 50 year old. You, you could have expected, uh, you know, be a bit suspicious of them. But they were great, really helpful to me. Um, um and uh, you know, people that had been around in industry for a long time, kind of knew who I was because it was like one of these going kind of, although it was never, my name wasn't prominent in the papers, I was quite a backroom guy, and guys knew me because I'd been chief sub-editor of the Herald mm. and all that, so the welcoming, I mean, yeah, so you, it, it, was quite, it was great for me to go in and, 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 uh, and, you know, become friends with so many of them, like uh, Hugh Keevans became a great pal, but Hugh McElvaney, a guy who yeah. I'd actually revered as a, as a mm. kid, you know, and, and uh, always remember about, it's been forty years ago, uh, covering Johnston Borough for the Paisley Daily Express and and writing these kind of MacIlvany type intros to uh, uh, Johnston Borough games. I mean, a once even thinking and going back looking at that kind of stuff. So it was great to be, uh, great to, to get be friendly with him, and when he came up to Scotland, I always made. Always made a point, Scott, of when he you know, when went out for a drink in Glasgow. I don't drink, so at the end of it, he'd say, I'm away from a train, because he would go down, he'd be staying with his niece in Trude, And I'd say, No way, you're going for a train. I'm going to drive you to Trude. <laughs> And he'd say, Why would you want to do that? I said, Well, you've got to pay for your dinner. And he says, What do you mean? I says, On the way down, I'm just going to be firing questions today. Because of course, I mean, he sat with Ali after rumble yeah. in the jungle. I mean, he's Alec Ferguson. You know Alec Ferguson's, you know, best biography with yeah, with Sir Alec. He um, he's probably George's best. You know, um, you know, who wouldn't they want? You know, an hour's drive down to uh, Trun with somebody like that in your car. So that that would be the that would be the uh, that would be the highlights of you know interacting with other journalists.
1: Brilliant. And when we mentioned, like, obviously, favourite colleagues, like who were some of the favourite people you met, like, covering football? Who were some of the best kind of managers, players that you, you sat down to interviewing, things like that? And is there any kind of good stories you've got with them?
0: Yeah, well, it, the, the great thing is, like, what I did was, like, I never got, pro, probably because I came into it pretty late, 50, I never got cynical about football. And before I was a football writer, I always loved football. Is like, Scott, you know, I'll... Al- I'm just football crazy. I've watched football in eight different decades, would you believe, mm-hmm. you know, from the 50s right through now. If it was you know, I used to go before COVID and I would go out, out of the park, see if it was an amateur game out in the park, I would stand and watch that, mm-hmm. you know. I just, I mean, people laugh at me now because I don't go to games to work, but they'll find me at Somerset Park. My brother lives down at here. If I'm down at here, my brother, two of us will go, mm-hmm. let's go along and watch here. or, you know, Thistle's not far from where I live, so I'll get a bus down and watch it. So I love all that stuff. So I I still get a wow. Last year, for example, I, I was over in um, Qatar looking at the World Cup stadiums, you know, for a big feature.
1: Yeah.
0: And I met Johan Neeskens, And yeah. I was there with other journalists, and and, and they were interviewing him. And one of the younger journalists, well, everybody's a younger journalist, said to me, <laughs> but you were really excited there. You were kind of like you know, your voice was saying. I said, aye, because you don't know. See, like kids now, they were asking them questions because he coached Lionel Messi at Barcelona. Him and Rijkaard were the guys that gave Messi his debut. But that meant nothing to me. That was like, (laughs) I'm saying not. This guy was the second best player in the world at one time. And the best (laughs) player in the world was the guy he was playing with, Cruyff. So he was like, so uh, and I always, always say this as well, you know, one of the great memories is uh, is meeting Bobby Charlton and interviewing Bobby Charlton because it ended because he's such a, such a polite man that he, he kind of escorts you. I met him at Old Trafford and he, he was a director then, so he didn't go in the office. And he's so a polite man, he says, I'll see you out, you know? So he saw me out and i always remember we're standing in, just in front of Old Trafford. And I shook his hand in the shadow of his own statue um, and I went there's not many times you'll do that in your life mm-hmm. you know shaking a guy's hand you know yeah. underneath his own Those statue statues. so that I mean that I'll, I make no um what's this I mean I, I don't make any apologies for that I mean I, I like you know um I'm still I'm still thrilled to be I mean I interviewed John Walk uh, yeah. a couple of weeks ago um and uh I still love listening to these guys, the stories. I interviewed Steve Nicola a few years ago, about, you know, and uh, the stories that they tell about the dressing room. I love all that, you know. Yeah. I think I think the things for I mean, Mark will be different, but for the, the, the guys like us that never get inside a, a, a pro dressing room in any way, these guys open the door a wee bit so you can yeah. just poke, poke your nose in and, and I love that stuff. I love that stuff. Uh, I could go on and on about the interviews, but I suppose the biggest one would be um, uh, would be Bobby Charlton. But it's funny, like, you get a phone call just at uh, the beginning of the year, you know, when um, uh, Jim McLean dies, and Alec Ferguson. I wouldn't say I was a pal of Alex, but I'd say I'd know him, and, and, and you know, there'd be a degree of a hope, a degree of trust between us. And, and when Jim McLean died, uh, you know, Alec phoned me and said, listen, I want to say something about Jim and I want to get it onto the, what we call the buyers. That is the agency yeah. so other people will know what I think. And so having a 25, 30-minute conversation with Alec Ferguson about Jim McLean, as a football, as a football lover, never mind a journalist, that's gold dust. Definitely.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then obviously like, some of the kind of favourite memories you've got like in football. Obviously the Lisbon Lions will probably be what a, a memory for you, At like, this when Soonest came to Irish What was mm-hmm. some of the ones that stick out to you?
0: Well, the Lisbon Lions as a kid, definitely. I mean, um, I'm a Celtic supporter. Um, so I was twelve at the time. I was at, believe it or not, I know if I, Disney, I had, I must have a hard but I was at primary school at the time. I know people might find that difficult to believe. And I wasn't <laughs> put back a year. Um, I, I was at primary school, And they opened up the primary school. It was a holiday obligation then. So, so Roman Catholic schools were closed, but they opened up. And I always remember that, that day watching it in the school, um, probably not realizing how big a deal it was. Knowing it was a big deal, but it was only 12. And coming to realise over the years just how huge a deal it was. So that would be a fantastic memory. 73, uh, going along to uh, uh, Hamden. Mm-hmm. Joe Jordan getting Scotland qualified yeah. for the World Cup after, you know, 16 years of, uh, uh, you know, a Uh That was a terrific night. Terrific. Great Scotland team as well. Scotland team that went to the finals, really unlucky not to get in the knockout stages, unbeaten and go Mm -hmm. home. Um, Other great memories, um, I mean, one of the great memories as a journalist is 2007, 2008, when both Celtic and and, and Rangers involved initially in the Champions League, flying about Europe. Then Rangers go on this run to... um, Mm -hmm. European final uh that was really almost surprising at the time because nobody expected it uh and then to be on that journey as well was um so it's just it's just continued you know the amount of uh right up to the end when you know even that i mean obviously I wasn't in Belgrade, but I was in, in the house watching Scotland qualifying for Euros, and, and I thought as an old cynical journalist, I kind of what I did. Scott was I kind of convinced myself there was no chance that Scotland could beat uh, Serbia, <laughs> just to protect myself against any heart you know. And my son and I watched it, and 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 I'd kind of convinced him as well, although he was no for the no for really for the for the convincing, and. Despite myself, I got really, really excited. And when Jovic scored, I'm not kidding you, I was sick. I was just like sick. I just went, "Oh no, I've got sucked into this again." Instead of being my cynical self, I began to hope and hope. And I just and it was I was really a physical feeling of sickness about the whole thing. So when that turned around and the penalties came, you know, it's that feeling that you're dancing in your living room with your boy, literally. At 65, I'm actually dancing, me with this bad back to you. Uh, So football's never lost that capacity yeah. for me, you know. Um, mm. uh, and I've, I'm so delighted to have been, you know, to in about some of the greatest moments in Scottish football. Brilliant.
1: Shankers, you have got a few questions
2: as well, so we'll pa- I'll pass it floor to you. Right, um. I was just a few, just a few ones, uh, just for my own satisfaction. <laughs> uh, has there ever been a, a story or a, an article that, that you've wrote about someone and they've not been happy about it and, and try to get <laughs> trying to get in touch and, and had a bit of a bit of a problem with it?
0: Absolutely. All <laughs> the time. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, like, oh, all the time. All the. I mean, I've
2: seen on a. Uh, like maybe Wayne Rooney and Rio Ferdinand singing, the old cliche one for focus to say, oh, I don't read the papers or that, but no. we all know, we all know the day. So, and a few, Rio Ferdinand said before, I, I've got I got his number and i phoned him and that. No. So I was just, I just thought... Oh, I oh that. I, you <laughs> get that all the time.
0: See the biggest thing, do you know, funnily enough, a, I mean, I had a huge row uh, with Gordon and once I wrote a big piece about he'd, he hadn't picked Aidan McGeady for an old Firm game. Mm-hmm. and I just slaughtered them for it, you know, I just said, you know, I mean, and then he was quite right to come back at me, by the way, because it was like I had the baseball bat out, you know, I said, there's only, I mean, I think, uh, um, you know, I said, he's either a foot, you know, not playing Magidi was either football incompetence or it was personal, you know, and uh, so he was quite right to have a go back I at when mean, we had... I think what the diplomats would call a robust exchange of views on that. Um, but I was okay with that. I'm all right with that. See, I think, like, um, you can't, if you're going to have a goal at players, and you have to, I don't think you, you have to all the time. I don't, I think there's some, you know, this way of people always saying, slaughter them, slaughter them. So I wasn't, I, I think most footballers and managers say I wasn't like that. There are times when you can't just sit on the fence. You've got to say, no, this is rotten or blah-de-blah. But you can't then, Mark, think when they come back to you and go, well, what do you know about football? How many badges have you got? How many things have you won? How many teams have you coached the championship? Absolutely entitled to do that. I've got not a problem. But the funniest thing is uh, is the biggest arguments I would say in football between journalists and players are called... Is caused by man buys. Now, let your viewers know: man buys is the abbreviation for man by man, where the the journalists give you a mark out of ten. Yeah, oh, and, I, I, yeah. Now, players might not read your big two thousand word article on why the Guggen Press is the best way to go forward, or you know why Celtic, you know, need a prep or whatever it is, <laughs> and, and a, a false nine. But I tell you what, I think they'll read. I'll read that bit no down really. the, the 10. <laughs> and there's a really funny one once. I was sitting in a press conference at Celtic and uh, they brought in the player for the press conference and it was Scott McDonald. Uh, so he sat down and I was sort of sitting at the edge uh, of, the, of the press conference and somebody said to him, what kind of season? You know, an easy question to start. Well, no, what kind of season do you think you've had, Scott? And he says, well, I think it's going all right for somebody who um, can't run can't hold the ball up, uh, can't interlink with the players, uh, can't retain possession, but can run offside. And I suddenly, in about the fifth sentence of that, I said, God, this sounds familiar. <laughs> <laughs> of course, it was my man-by-man man zone on the previous week's game. Uh, so uh, somebody looked at me and, and, and said, uh, he said, you had to look on your little wee boy I'd be about 60 at the time. They're looking at you as a wee boy that just been caught stealing the apples, you know? <laughs> uh, so that was a... Uh, so, I mean, that was Scott's way of getting back to me, but getting back at me. And hey, again, fair play to him. I've got no problem with that whatsoever, you know? if you, There's no point in uh, dishing out criticism and then moaning when people come back and criticise you. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Uh,
2: just another one. You you touched on it earlier about about trust. It was just the, the perception of the press isn't a always a positive, uh, isn't they always looked positively for, for punters and and players. So so how do you go about changing that and and getting to earn that trust? So to, to build a relationship to get them to to basically open up to you when when you're uh, when you're speaking to them. It's very
0: difficult. But I always say, um, uh, it's very, very difficult, but I always say, if you do everything, if you do everything straight up, right? You'll get arguments and people won't like you and people will fall out of you and they won't talk to you ever again. That's happened to me, you know? I've, you know? But I think if, if, if you interview people or talk about people and they know that you get no other agenda, you're just giving it the way you think and it's straight you build up relationships You definitely build up relationships in the game, and you will build up relationships that last down the years. You build up, you build up um, contacts that know that you're to be trusted. That know when they, that you're saying to them that they say this is off the record, and you agree it's off the record. Then it remains off the record. Yeah, they know that you'll not go away and write it up. Uh, if they say this is off the record, you say, listen. No, it's not. if you if you I know where you're going with this and you just want to answer this question and by not answering it. So don't answer it, but if you answer it, it's on the record. Because mm-hmm. this is a question I need. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you've got to be really straight with people. Um, and you'll still fall out with people. There'll still be people that don't like you. There may be even people that'll badmouth you. But what'll happen is that you can go in and when you're shaving before you go to your work in the morning, you can say well you can look yourself in the mirror and say I've, I've maintained a certain amount of principles here, I've, I've made mistakes with all this as well Mark you know you make mistakes where you you know um, and you'll con- I'll continue to make mistakes and, uh, but you wouldn't make mistakes of in terms of principle integrity you don't do things to people um, that, that you know have been previously agreed or outside the parameters of what you usually want, But it's very, very difficult now, the, the press game, very difficult, difficult to get players to talk to people. They don't, players don't need the press the way they would back in the old days, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Clubs uh, actively don't want players to talk to the press. They want players to talk to their own club channels and uh, their own kind of in-house media. So it's very, very difficult nowadays to, to form a relationship that would be... I'll finish with this. I was at the Hall of Fame uh, about 10, 15 years ago at a press table. All the old sort uh, of... Hugh McLevaney was there, the great Glenn Gibbons used to work yes. for the Scotsman, Hugh Keevans, Roger Bailey, et cetera, et cetera. And I was just in as a, as a sports reporter. So I was sitting at this table... And there was a queue of people just coming up to the table to talk to the, the, the press guys. And the queue was like John Gregg, Billy McNeil, Johnny Giles, Graham Souness. This, this is literally Tommy Gamel. I mean, there was just like Dave Mackay. These people were all coming up and they were getting slaughtered and they were slaughtering the press guys and they were laughing and joking. All through the meal, guys were coming up. And I just sat there and I didn't know anything about it because I was fresh to the, 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 you know, relatively fresh to the uh, the actual sports writing fraternity. But I knew then that further down the line, 20, 30 years ago, Wayne Rooney's not going to be coming mm-hmm. to a table and having a laugh yeah. uh, with sports writers. Or even nowadays, Scott Brown's not going to do it. You know, or or, 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 or Stephen Gerrard or uh, you know they're not going to do that. That 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 relationship just doesn't exist anymore. It just doesn't exist. Yeah.
2: I think that's because of you all know, the kind of media training and stuff like that that, that clubs do to players in. They almost when when you see nine times out of ten interview, it's almost kind of like robotic, as I like to say, you, you kind of know what you're getting. It's all cliche stuff, one of the players, I don't know if you've seen James Madison in, in oh, English right. football, he, he's kind of one of the better ones that comes out and he's just kind of almost open mm-hmm. and, he's, and he's a good interview, but a lot of them are just kind of robots, as I like to say, and they've, they've basically been told what they've what mm-hmm. to say and what not to say. I
0: think, there's a, I think there's a few reasons. The first reason is I think there's a, a difference between football players and the public. And I'm not criticizing football players in any way, but there is football players. Even in my lifetime, would go in the would be in the same pub as you. Or, mm-hmm. Sometimes here's the one on the same bus as you, or on the same train as you, or you know, or, they were generally in a level that you know they were uh, they weren't in another level the way they are now. Same thing is that club thing. Club one that they're, their assets don't talk to the press. And the third thing, there's another thing where players, of course, don't want to talk to the press because they've got burned by yeah. them in the past. You know, if you're Wayne Rooney and there's been a salacious story about you, uh, shall we say, in having uh, intimate relations with uh, certain uh, uh, women or whatever. You're not, you're not inclined to to sit down with, with reporters and talk about it. And you're right about the media training. I always used to call it name, rank, and serial number. You wouldn't get any else <laughs> out of some players. I mean, literally, you would just say it. it was like an interrogation. One of the interesting things I noticed was that, you know, Chris Boyd was really amongst the, when he was at Rangers, Chris Boyd was looked upon as one of the worst to get in these situations because he gave you nothing literally, mm-hmm. name, rank, serial number, blah-de-blah. And everybody used to go, oh, my God, you know, if, if they say, who's a Rangers player that Rangers are putting up, then you'd see, oh, I don't know yet. And then Chris Boyd would come into the room, you'd go, oh, my God, how are you <laughs> going to get out of this? Then he went to America. And see, when he came back from America, he was completely different. Yeah, I mean, like, completely different. I mean, like, the first interview, I always remember when he came in, after the American joint, he sat down and he gave us this interview. and He went out and everybody was going, who, "Who, who, was that? You know, it was, <laughs> was that, that guy looked and sounded like Chris Boyd, but obviously wasn't. Is that <laughs> who was it? And that he changed and he just switched. He'd see he'd watch what happened in, in America, and he'd also and here's the clever thing he did as well when he'd also saw was that and he looked and what am I going to do post career? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's
2: worked. Yeah,
0: yeah,
2: definitely. Um obviously uh, me me playing football, like scoring a goal at the weekend or at the end of the season winning a winning a trophy is, is one of the, the best feelings and a great feeling in football. So so what is the kind of journalist equivalent to scoring a goal or, or winning a trophy? Is it getting a getting a story out before before somebody else does, getting a, an exclusive yeah. or whatever?
0: Yeah, there's journalistic prizes, but I don't think journalists, I certainly, I don't, I wouldn't be, you wouldn't really celebrate them. You'd be, and I've been lucky enough to win them. You'd be kind of abashed, a wee bit kind of abashed about it because, you know, it's not really what you're in. Yes, I think getting a really good scoop is a fantastic feeling. I'm 65 and I still get a buzz out of that. I really do. I get a buzz out of that. I got, um, getting something really good. But see, one of the great things is, um, although I've stopped doing it, was like a match support. See if you're doing a match, support, and that sounds daft, but um, matches can change. And I see if I'm really frenetic night, <clears throat> You've and all this was live, of course. And I don't think people realize what journalists have to do. I think they go away and they think, oh, the game ends and then the journalists write their story. That's not the way it works. You're writing a story all the way through the game, and then when the final whistle goes, literally when the final whistle—that's why they call it on the whistle. Mm-hmm. The final whistle goes, you've got to send it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if you're sitting in, uh, if you're sitting in, in uh, the stadium light in Benfica, and you're writing a story about um, how Celtic are going to qualify for the last sixteen of Champions League because it's nothing each. And a big Brazilian centre-forward makes it one nothing with two minutes to go. And you're writing a story about how <laughs> a big Brazilian has just ruined Celtic's team. And then somebody shouts in your ear, no, he hasn't, because AC Milan have lost in the San Siro. Mm-hmm. So it's back to plan A again. Yeah. There's a great satisfaction of getting all that, getting it done, and sending it. And then reading it afterwards and going, do you know what? That, that was the gibberish. I've sensed something it actually is all right. And there was a great sense of kind of satisfaction about that kind of thing. It's, I just found it a really, I found, you know, and I say, I'll use in the past tense because I'm not so much involved in the minutiae and, and the daily stuff about journalism now. I, I've taken a wee stay back and I do what I want now. But I found it really rewarding, not just in football, but in tennis. I mean, imagine being a, uh, Wimbledon, and a Scotsman wins the gentleman's singles at yeah. Wimbledon, and you're there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a buzz, is it no? Definitely,
2: right. Definitely. Uh, last one is just I don't know, you might have been asked this before. See, so just in football now, I know football's changed a lot since maybe you first got into journalism to now, but uh, if you could in the world of football, if you could hand pick somebody, have, have a an hour's time you are sitting did with them and pick their brains, who would it be? Oh. And why them? Uh, One person in the moment.
0: I've been lucky enough to do it, like like somebody like, um, I'd love to have had Maradona for an hour, you know, and just Mm sat and talked to him and (laughs) talked to him about um, his career. Because I think he, it's a daft pub argument, but to me he's the greatest. Um but and and if people say Pele, absolutely. People say Messi, I'm not I'm not here. I'm just saying that Maradona for uh, I always think Naples and Napoli have only won two championships in their life. The whole history of the club. Club goes back to nineteen twenty-one. So in Mm a hundred years' history, they've won two Scudetti both times with Maradona. So I think that gives it to him. Johan Cruyff, who's also away. Because I loved, I'm old enough to have watched him as a player at Ajax and loved him. But he was an incredible personality, Mark, you as well, you know. Um, uh, and he was also so influential as a coach. I mean, he was probably, I mean, you have no Pep, no Man City, no Klopp mm-hmm. without, without Cruyff. Cruyff. Mm-hmm. No Bielsa, without, he just changed everything. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to sit down and him. I got near him once, I mean, i I did an interview with him once with other journalists when he came to Glasgow, and the aura he had when he was talking, you, you yeah. knew you were in the, uh, you're just in the presence of greatness. And another, this is like dead poet society. Imagine having an hour with Jock Steen yeah. mm-hmm. about even just on some little Lisbon. But if you're talking about now, now, do you know what? I'm just watching the football today, and I think uh, um, I think you know English football really now is really interesting at the moment. You know, people people kind of moan about it because it's so full of money and all that, but it's so full of interesting characters. And I would love to sit down with Klopp for an hour. I'm a Dortmund fan. That's and I say that advisedly. I go I go to see Dortmund. I used to go couple of times, we go every year, me, my son and his two mates, we go to Dortmund and we started that under Klopp and um, I just think he's a real man, I mean just think that, I mean it sounds that but I'd really like to know more, I've read everyone about him and I watch it but I'd really like the conversation about how he motivates players and how he deals with us, because he's always got to remember with Klopp, and it goes again. It's not Pep Guardiola's fault or anything like that, but Pep's always had the best team and the most money, right? Yeah. Klopp's always had the second best team mm-hmm. and the second and third amount of money. Yeah. And I just think, pff, you know, when you look back, knocking Bayern Munich off their perch, coming to, to to England and 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 not only won the championship, but winning a Champions League and being world club champions as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be. It's a long answer, Mark, but that would be the yeah. probably Klopp at the moment.
2: I think one of the best things about Klopp is, I know I, as a player myself, when you when you're left out, they, you hate the manager and, mm, and yeah. etc. Cetera, et cetera, but everybody seems happy, even even the players that are not playing. Everybody seems in it together, as if they were kind of all saying runs through a brick wall for him. He's, he's one of the kind of guys.
0: Yeah, again, going back to that trip to Qatar. Um, we got it was two other Scottish journalists there, and the three of us arranged with a Liverpool guy to go and, and interview Andy Robertson um, yeah. the day before the semi-final. And we went to the Liverpool hotel, and you imagine what the Liverpool hotel is in Qatar—you know, this fantastic, like a castle—and all the players were just milling about this huge, big kind of reception area, but obviously with security all around and club officials. And Andy Robertson, great guy, he sat down, filled our boots, really polite, well-mannered. And you're talking about, he knows, none of this, name-ranking serial number. He was just throwing out all the lines and things like that. By the end of it, we're sitting having a cup of tea just before our taxi came. And you had the feeling when you're watching all the players, I always remember Allison was walking about in Milner and that. And you had this feeling, this is a really happy camp. Mm-hmm. Yeah. used to be the interactive way of And not just the players, they were interacting with their staff, like the press guys, uh, the physios, and all that. It was all like a, in the best way, like a boys' day, you know, it was <laughs> like a weekend trip away, obviously. With the alcohol. And the, did you know they had that real feeling of bother me? And I thought, that's terrific. That, I said, that always comes from the manager. The, see yeah. everything, the whole, it's not just about strategies, you know, as well about the way a team plays. If you that energetic stuff they do, that all comes from the manager. That you know, mm-hmm. that hunger, that desire, just to run that, do that extra shuttle, do that extra five yards, and and you've got to be a special person because all these guys, all these guys can 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 chuck it. All you guys can say, oh, "I'm, I've, I've done enough here, or I've got all my money," or do you know what I'm thinking about my next move? What I do next year? You know, like like players like Salah. Like, you know, keeping Salah on board when there was a wee period where we thought Salah might have his eyes elsewhere and things like that. Yeah, so I'd be really, I'd be really interested in talk to him. Yeah,
2: I would probably be the same <laughs> if I had the chance to, to speak to somebody. That's me done. Brilliant.
1: We time for a few fan questions. Paul Cochrane's asked a fascinating question to you, to, to yourself how do you see the next decade playing out for Scottish football and deliberately leaving this open to whether it's a sporting, financial or political question? I'd, I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Uh,
0: well, I, I saw that on Twitter. I thought, what a great question, because I think, see, um, we're in a real revolutionary. We're actually at a crossroads in Scottish football. And, the, you know, the end of the, the 10, you know, that's, that's off the board now. Rangers have stopped that. That's mm. off the boards. And so, Rangers and Celtic, for example, at the top of Scottish, football, are going to have to recalibrate. They can't be saying we're paying 50, 60 million pounds a year in wages, um, you know, uh, for, for just purely domestic purposes. I think they'll have to. I think the Celtic is really interesting. I think they have to revamp completely their operations. They've got to revamp uh, their ambitions, um, look at. um look at becoming much more successful in Europe, accessing um, uh, how they're going to be successful in Europe, and keep a keep maybe Ajax model, everybody says that offhand as if it's so, take a magic wand and do it, <laughs> I, I think it, it, it's not of the, I think there's going to have to be at Celtic and Rangers if I was a young player at Celtic and Rangers, 17, 18 at the moment, I would be thinking I had more chance of making it than I would have even last year, I think uh, they're going to have to to go down a road where that wage bill comes down,
2: Mm
0: -hmm. because they're going to be impacted with the European Super League, which is going to happen. The only question is, does it happen with UEFA and FIFA on board, or does it happen without them on board? Mm -hmm. I think it happens with them kind of half on board, uh, but it'll happen. No chance the Celtic Rangers getting into the European Super League. Is there a chance they're getting to Super League B or Super League C or whatever they count it? Yes, I think that's a problem. And that brings us into the politics of sport. I think geographical borders will not mean as much as they have with sport before because the power of UEFA and FIFA is going to... Be lessened by the bigger clubs, and that will have an impact for the smaller clubs because um, Ajax and Benfica uh, and all the Scandinavian teams, teams outside the big five leagues, will be saying, "Listen, you've really you've hammered us. We've got to have a way. We've got to have a way to make money. We've got to be in a league where, you know a Beniox League or a, or, a, or a Southern European League or, or a." European Super League Division 2 we've got to get access to this because it's unsustainable we can't maintain these huge edifices that we've got and tend to be Champions League clubs uh, when we don't have the access to the television money that others have so that's one side of it I think in Scottish football I think there'll be real after I think COVID has, the effect of COVID won't be felt until the start of the next season mm-hmm. for clubs when they're doing their budgets. Yeah. Uh, because uh, and I think there'll be a lot of hard thinking about repositioning the league. I would like to hope that um, there'll be more access for the pyramid clubs. I think one's, one of the most exciting things that's happening in Scottish football is clubs uh, like Kelty, like Cove, like Brora, like Bonnie Rigg, I mean, look at the Ayrshire Clubs, Hawk and Lake and things like that. They would bring a real life force uh, to Scottish football. So allow them, encourage them to get into the pyramid system. Um, I see Celtic and Rangers Colts getting in as well, because I think club chairmen will look at them and think, do you know what, we could get two or 3,000 in a Saturday at these games if it was Celtic yeah, Rangers Colts. We could get better hospitality because of things like that. Uh, So I think we're really, with COVID, with the sort of hegemony of the big five, the domination of the big five leagues, the push for the big five leagues, uh, big, you know, top 18, 20 clubs in Europe to get more of our broadcasting revenue. Mm -hmm. I think something's got to give. I I think the next two or three years will be absolutely revolutionary
1: in football. Yeah, definitely. We've got a few questions as well. Shankers, I want to get your thoughts on this as well. What are your thoughts on Ross Stewart's move to Sunderland? £250,000. Do you think it's a good move for Ross? Obviously, you'll have played. Would you have played against Ross?
2: Uh, I've, I've came across him and in, in obviously playing in the juniors myself. So uh, I, I know of him. It's a, what can you say? It's obviously, he's probably feeling a wee bit bad uh, about the timing of it. He maybe wanted to stay and help Ross County can I try and stay in the top division, but how can he turn a, a move like that down to, mm. to such a, a big club like Sunderland and he's no gone there to Sunderland just to make up the numbers. He has gone there because I think he's got a real mm. quality to, to be a number nine for, for them. He's got he's got I know it's an old saying he's got everything. He's he's big, he's strong, he's powerful, mm. he's got a better pace as well. He can score goals. I honestly I think I don't think Sunderland will be the the can the that'll be the peak. I, honestly, I think he can go following that. He's still Maybe I'm 25, so he'll maybe be, be a couple of years younger than me, 23, mm-hmm. 24. I, I really don't think Sunderland's the the best you can go. at, Honestly, I think you can go higher than that. Yeah, definitely. Hugh Ben Davis is
1: uh yeah. was linked with Celtic in a pre-contract. We were hearing it's just come through just now that the Liverpool are targeting a late January deal for press for Ben mm-hmm. Davis. Does that highlight just how poor Celtic's transfer business has been that Liverpool are trying to get him at the last minute when we thought there was a deal agreed?
0: You could actually say, does that, Aye, that show you? You could actually say how good Celtic Transfer Business has been. <laughs> you know, it's like one of the ones, it's like, see, when Celtic are in trouble, everybody's going to get, and it's, this is the way of it, but I noticed people were shouting and bawling about selling frimpong. Mm-hmm. or oh, what a lack of ambition you got. No, this is a club model. This is actually the model. Buy somebody for three hundred thousand and sell them for twelve million. That's the model. You know, that's that's what it's. So, I think Celtic have just been very unlucky in this. They've obviously done. uh, You know, the the, obviously the 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 scouting's been very good. Obviously, they've went. They've gone down there and they've said to the guy and I've given an offer. Come on, if Liverpool, who have got no, I and mean, Liverpool are playing, you know, Liverpool are trying to bring back Alan Hansen to, bring, to play second half at the moment, <laughs> Gary Gillespie. I mean, look, I, I mean, you've got, you've got Jordan Henderson playing center half for them at the moment. So yeah, yeah. not only does Ben Davis look at it and say, Liverpool want me, Liverpool, Jurgen Klopp's coming in for me. Not only is he saying that, he's saying, do you know what? See if I sign for them before Monday. I've got a very good chance again and again. Mm -hmm. This is no like, you know, this is not Ben Davis joining uh, Liverpool with, you know, with Van Dijk and Matip and 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 the rest, all all forming a barrier to uh, future success. This is him saying to himself. And by the way, he would still have gone. He would still have gone because I mean, you're going to Liverpool. Yeah, Mm -hmm. but it's it's a. What an opportunity for the kid! I mean, just uh, and, and a realistic one is that. So I wouldn't have. I mean, I think that, you know they will be scared. Celtic can be criticised on so much this season, but I think it'd be pretty harsh to criticise them on this.
2: Yeah, definitely. See, you, she just when you touched on the phone Pong thing, obviously that you're saying about buying for three hundred thousand, selling for twelve million. Do you think Celtic selling Fring Pong for that fee bodes well for for the summer when when they're bigger? Rangers and Celtic's bigger assets are going to go, do you think that price tag of or Can I almost say to them, we need to actually give a wee bit more mm. uh, to these clubs to, to prize these players away, because before I feel Scottish players, teams have came up and kind of shafted them for, for transfer fees just because oh, it's Scottish football, we mm. just need to dangle some money and they'll take it, whereas clubs can maybe afford to... To knock back a couple of bids and and get get more money than than what has done before for players.
0: I, I think so. I think definitely want, because I think the biggest one was Van Dyke and yep. and, uh, and like it's not been not been thing me after the event, Why is after the event, Just looked at Van Dyke and he said this is this is a top notch I'm going. To, I was surprised that nobody bar Southampton came in for him, and he went there for what twelve and you went that's it. But the next one was Tierney, you know because. Tierney was a young international fullback who'd played Champions League football, and he went for half the money than the Crystal Palace fullback went to Manchester United. And I went, oh, that's a, that's a real blip in the market. That's something that they'll have to exploit. Um, and uh, I think now there'll be a lot more harder trading. I think that the, the, what's going to happen, though, is that it's kind of depressed at the moment in the market because of COVID. Yeah. I think by the time summer comes, uh, you'll see a good fees for somebody like Edward. And see the other thing. I don't think clubs, clubs will have Edward really well scouted and all that. And I don't think they will be put off by his form at the moment. They know this is a French under-21 striker.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, he's got a very good scoring record uh, for, for the under-21s in France. So I, I still think he'll go for big money.
1: Yeah, definitely. We've just got a final question as well. Who who do you think if Neil Lennon or Steven Gerard was to leave in the next few months or in the next year, who do you think are the, the names that this the what that could replace those two managers? But we'll start with Neil Lennon. I think Neil Lennon's probably a bigger talking point just now than, than Gerrard but who do yeah, you think um, Celtic could
0: attract? what I would like if it was, you know, I would have liked Celtic to go for somebody who I don't know anything about, right? And I'll explain it this way. I like to, to go for somebody who's you know who's doing a good job as you know um, you know maybe a lower league German club or, or or a higher league Austrian club a really good coach yeah. you know like somebody who's like trying to the way that you the way that you try to source players like trying to source the next big thing in management trying to source a Klopp trying to source a Marcus Rose. Well before they get, you know, you know, I'm talking about Klopsman, when he's at means or whatever, you know, trying to source a coach before he becomes a big big coach, because otherwise, what happens, Scott, is you just get into the you just get into this endless argument about people that you already know, mm-hmm. you know, like it should be Eddie Howe. Well, fine, should it really is. <clears throat> Eddie Howe would find, you know, that's a very strong rumour but i tell you one thing Eddie Howe will find Celtic an awful lot different than managing Bournemouth, and people will yeah, laugh at that. But by God, he will, because I always remember Gordon Strachan came to Celtic, and one of the first conversations I had with him, I remember he'd managed in the English Premier League, he managed Southampton to an FA Cup final, and I said, How's this job? And he was shaking. He said, He said, it's absolutely incredible. He says at Southampton, he said, I would have four pressmen in on the Friday before a Manchester United game. <laughs> he says, At Celtic, I've got four press conferences today. Mm-hmm. Four today, four press conferences. Like, sit down full one with the Scottish media, uh, the daily media, one with the Scottish Sunday media one with the broadcast press in Scotland, and one with the, one with the sponsors press, like mm-hmm. Sky. So I've got my whole day, my whole morning, you know, other than looking at the team, is doing, and doing press. So, uh, so it's a big job for somebody to take on, but that'd be, my, my answer would be for Celtic Rangers, go for somebody the way you would go and try and source a player. Go and look at, go and look, do your research. Do your due diligence and time being a coach. Now Celtic did that with Ronnie Dyler. Mm-hmm. And some will say it worked to a certain extent and some will say it was a failure. But I think the end of the 10 gives the opportunity to do that for Celtic. It really does. People would oh. say, right, the slate's clean, 10's gone, rebuild. And I also think it gives the, that case to Rangers as well because... You Know after Gerard, there'll be an expectation of getting another big name in. But how many big names out there uh, will, will want to come up? Mm-hmm. One or two, but will it be? We've, we've looked at it before. Big names is risky, great players, it's two different skill sets. Mm-hmm. Rangers is a huge club, you know. If I, you know, if you know, like. When Rooney's not going to do it now because he's in Derby. He's got his gig. But a big player, ex-player, you know, it's, it's a big jump to come to a club like Rangers or Celtic. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh,
1: Definitely. Definitely. But that'll do us for this week. It's been an absolute privilege to have you on You I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Just uh, absolute good, pleasure.
0: Uh, good play- Good to talk about football with you, boys. <laughs> listen, uh, and uh, good to have an hour. I hope I didn't send everybody to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 <laughs> Uh, and uh, and uh, we didn't we didn't get, get to the man by so we didn't fall out amongst each other so that's
1: <laughs> <all>.
2: <laughs> definitely I really enjoyed that thanks everyone for coming on Shantos, pleasure as always really enjoyed that that oh, pleasure's mine that was good we'll be
1: we'll be keeping you up to date with the next next few days over any news that comes forward and we'll be we'll be making more announcements about future shows but thanks very much for loving it listening everyone we'll see you soon cheers.